For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to be reading from 1 Peter 1. It's a small book tucked in behind James, and you can find that on page 1887, if you'd like to follow along. First Peter 1, we're going to be starting at verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverence, in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as gold or silver, that you have been redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again not of perishable seeds, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Last weekend, wow, that came in quick. (laughs) Last weekend, I had the opportunity to take some time off. And instead of going anywhere, I walked out our back slider, down the steps of our porch and into our backyard, and I played in the dirt. Uh, I got down in the dirt. We have a lot of clay spaces in our backyard, so I was determined to get a bunch of the clay out, put a whole bunch of new topsoil in, and plant some flowers. And that's what I did. Eight hours on Friday, eight hours again on Saturday. Sunday morning I went out while all of you were worshiping, and I laid in the grass in my backyard. That's where my worship started that day. <laughs> Monday again I went back at it. and, and during this time, it wasn't just about planting things, about putting new stuff in. It was also being attentive to what was already there that needed to come 
out. We have these little things. I have no clue what, they're, what, what type of plant they are, but they have these roots that are about this long, and they are buggers to get out of the ground especially when it's embedded in clay. And, and so several of the hours of what I was doing was actually pulling out roots that you couldn't see at the top yet, but from past experience, when those things break through the surface, it's almost too late. And you gotta spend the time to dig into the ground, to dig down deeper than you think you do, to get at those roots and pull them out. I'm not sure how they grow, but they seem to keep coming back. As I read this text today, and as I've been reading the text throughout the week, that image of, of cultivating and of gardening, of, of getting in both to pull things out and to put new things in, kept resonating with me. And by the time we get to the end of the message, we're going to come back to that image. We're going to pause this morning at, at three spots as we engage this text. One is, is that phrase, be holy, or the expanded version, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Another is the word deeply. Love one another deeply. It's a unique word in the New Testament. It only occurs two times. And then that word heart, with your heart, or from the heart. So we'll pause at each of those words this morning. Be holy. The command to be holy that's in this passage could be a really daunting command. If you think about it, the whole Old Testament has this refrain going through it. Be holy as God is in holy, or as God is holy. And, and when you encounter that, it's usually accompanied by this huge list of do's and don'ts. Read Leviticus 19 sometime, and you will see this refrain of be holy and don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It is the traditional sense of what spirituality or religion is about, that we have to do certain things to be pleasing or acceptable to God. Except Peter doesn't frame it that way. Peter starts the command to be holy in a different place doesn't start it with all sorts of do's and don'ts and that we need to please God. He starts it by saying it's in the hope of the grace that is already ours when Jesus Christ comes again. It's not a backward looking, what have we done wrong and how do we fix it? It's a forward looking what has God promised and what has he assured us that will be ours and is already on the way. It's a gift not only promised, but a gift assured that it is coming. It's the delivery is in the system. You could almost put with this Peter saying, here's the UPS tracking number. Look it up. God's promise is good. He's already sending to us his grace in Jesus Christ. And it is that hope that hope that we are actually wrapped up in Jesus Christ that gives us the ability or capacity to be holy as God our Father is holy. There's a shifting here. The call to holiness is coming now as a response to God's grace rather than as a prequel to God's grace. There's something else in this passage. He, he talks about how we are to be God's children we're called to be God's children and to live as God's children. 
the holiness then comes in as, as almost a character trait of, of, of a parent to a child. Gets expanded on in verses 17 through 20. And, and just listen, there's a little bit of the father language in here as well. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Part of what Peter's doing here is shifting the allegiance. He's saying your allegiance isn't really to, or your first identity isn't really to the city you're in or, or to your ethnic heritage. Your first identity is that you belong to the Father. In fact, it's such a strong, different identity to belong to the Father. You need to see yourself as, as if you are a foreigner to all these other allegiances that are calling for your attention. Your true identity has been shifted from ethnic heritage, from, from your cultural identities, over to being a child of God. You have one father, and, and that father is who has made you. It's where your true identity lies. He adds to it, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. Hear the contrast again? You were living this way and according to these customs, but now you're over here. You're rooted in Christ Jesus. You were redeemed with the most precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. It's important to hear that last part. Your faith and hope are in God. The old way of living was one in which our faith and hope were, were dependent upon how faithful we could be, how righteous we could be. We had to do a certain set of, of behaviors that would appease the gods around us more broadly, but even in the Jewish religion, that we would be faithful with our behavior because that's how we proved and how we gained assurance that we were okay. And Peter is shifting the conversation majorly here. He's saying, yes, be holy, but it's not based on what you've done. Your be holy is because you are wrapped into Jesus Christ. In fact, you have been made into a child of God. You belong to your Father. And it's your Father who's going to judge, not based on your works, but based on the blood of Jesus Christ. God's faithfulness becomes the foundation for us to live holy lives rather than our holy lives becoming the foundation in which we can see God's holiness. The paradigm has been shifted here. So I want to pause for a moment with this question. What if holiness is a character trait given to us as a gift by our Father in heaven. What if holiness is a character trait? Think, think of a parent. It doesn't have to be your dad. Think of a parent. And then think, what are the character traits I have in common with that parent? And then if you dare, how did I get them? 
sometimes we can pinpoint it and say, well, I speak like my dad spoke because I, I hear the cadence that, of my dad's voice and I just kind of learned it growing up, right? But sometimes the character traits come through in ways that surprise us. I can remember one time being at a cottage with a friend in high school and, and we were there and, and her grandparents happened to be there. People, I had no clue who they were. It was my first time meeting them. And one of them looked at me and said, you're a schoon. I kind of looked and said, yes. And they said, I served on council with your grandpa back in Indiana. Two generations removed, I had never met these people. And walking in to the cottage, they knew who I was on physical resemblance. But they went on to describe my grandpa's character. And, and one of the stories that was told to me by these people who were really complete strangers to me was, I, I remember a time when we had a council meeting and your grandfather was sitting around the table and we were debating whether or not the, the person who had requested assistance from council had done enough that we could actually help them out. Were they really working hard enough to try to find a new job? Were they really in need? And we had this huge debate, and the meeting got done, and your grandpa left the room. And a day later, I found out that your grandpa called the, pe the person up the next morning and offered them a job. Wasn't going to wait around for a decision to be made about whether they needed the benevolence. And I thought, that's my grandpa. I had never heard that story passed along, but, but there was something in me that, that all of a sudden desired, I, I want to be compassionate like my grandpa. In many ways, that's what Peter's doing here. He's saying, hear the story of God whose lavish love in Jesus Christ came to you, who wrapped you into his community, who, who called you his children, who said, you're part of my family. And even though we didn't know the full stories of it, and we don't know the full extent of God's love, he says, you're mine and you now belong to me. And because you belong to me, this is the type of person I'm calling you to be. You have my character. I've given it to you, even though you didn't know about it. Be holy as I am holy. Our character gets worked out in the way we live with each other before God. If we were to take those passages in the Old Testament and, and really understand what's being said in them, we would start to also notice that it's not simply a list of rules that need to be followed for you to be okay before God. They actually start in a different place. Each of those passages are rooted in what God has done for his people. Even the Ten Commandments start off with saying, I am the Lord your God who, who rescued you or who drew you out of Egypt, out of that land of slavery. God displays his character for us. He, he acts in a way that draws us to himself. And then he says, because this is who I am and this is what I have done for you, this now is how you are to live. And that living of holiness even if we pay attention to the pattern that's in the Old Testament in books that can seem as dry as Leviticus can, that pattern becomes living with each other. Holiness is not just about a relationship with God. It becomes a way of life, of living in community with each other, 
in the nitty-gritty, day-to-day type of stuff. You get things about economics, about sex, about friendships. You get uh, things about property rights and how, how that all works together. And all of that is tied up under this big idea of God is holy. God has loved us. Therefore, we are to be holy and love one another. Peter keeps going, comes to this word deeply. If we are to obey the truth, if we are to follow God's love and respond to this grace in Jesus Christ, then it becomes something that is bent towards loving one another. The passage from 1 John 4 that we read earlier in the, the service, this is love. It's, it's God has loved us first and in giving his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And because God has loved us, we also ought to love one another. And that plays out here with this word deeply. Obedience is no longer about our salvation, but it becomes a response to our salvation. It shows us how to love one another. We, we pay attention to these rules and laws, not to find out how do we make ourselves right with God, but we start to pay attention to them so that we can learn how to love one another well. It's not a matter of obligation but it's something done deeply. Deeply has three words attached to it in the Greek language, the word for deeply here. They're earnest, fervent, and intense. Earnest, fervent, and intense. One, the only other place in the New Testament where this occurs, and this gives us a little bit insight into how we are to love one another there's a story told in Acts chapter 12 where Peter has been arrested. One of the other apostles has been put to death already and, and the intent is that Peter himself will be killed in the morning. He's in prison and he's got chains to his arms and to his legs and, and he's bound by guards there. And it says the church prayed for him fervently. It's the same word as deeply. They prayed for him deeply, intensely, with this sense of earnestness to it. It's not a passive, yeah, I love the people around me. Yeah, Lord, it'd be kind of nice if you'd let Peter go. Could you spare him from the execution? No, it's, Lord, he's going to die in the morning. Save him. There's a volume to it. There's a weightiness to it. There's an intensity to it. Have you ever met an intense person? What's that like when you meet an intense person? Go ahead, just share, share it with somebody around you for a moment. Who's an intense person you know? And, and you might be able to share it and just say the name to the person next to you and they go, oh yeah. All right, so just take a moment. Share someone who's intense with the person next to you. Was anyone bold enough to say, I am? About to, yeah, yeah. You can confess your own, that's me. <laughs> there is an intensity, and we need, we, we are called in this passage to love each other intensely. So we've heard this morning through the prayer, people in our church who, who are going through some tough spaces, we heard about John. 
And we're called in this passage to love John and Joan intensely, fervently. As John deals with an infection in his body and he's in the hospital. We heard about Nellie's daughter, Anita. And we prayed for that. And, and for most of us, we could pray that prayer in here and say amen to JD's prayer and then we go home. But we're called in this passage to love each other intently. To walk alongside Nellie and Henry they walk alongside Anita. What does that look like? How do we begin to come around each other intently, to love each other deeply? Minimum, I think it means we send notes or cards or pause and ask, how are you doing? Not just that, how are you doing, Sawyer? Fine, good, nice, and go on. But the actual stopping and saying, hey, Sawyer, how are you? And waiting for an answer. I won't put you on the spot for an answer right now. But it's taking the time to sit and wait with one another, to, to look each other in the eye and say, I'm here with you. I, I care about you. Because Christ has cared about me, I too am called to care about you. How are you? And sitting through that awkward silence as the person realizes, oh boy, they're serious. They really do want to know. Loving each other deeply. Being holy, being spiritual and righteous before God has everything to do with how we love one another. And this passage, Peter says, that love is intense. It is deep. It is profound. It is fervent. We come alongside one another and say, you are not alone. We are with you in the midst of this journey because Christ is with us. Heart. Heart, really, in the biblical world, when you see that word heart, it's not just talking about a physical heart. The ba-boom, ba-boom. Ba-boom. It's talking about your desires. And Peter adds, with your heart or from your heart. We love each other deeply, not because we're obligated to. Christ saved me, I guess I gotta love you. Sorry, Jerry, this is Jerry, I gotta love you. It's not that obligatory sense. It's from the heart. It really requires a heart to be molded by God, to be shaped by God, that we begin to feel. And I know some of us are scared of emotions. But this passage calls us to enter into that space where our heart, it feels the depth of God's love for us. It recognizes that Christ actually died in our place. To be overwhelmed by the goodness of God, that he lavishes our, his love upon us. Think of a birthday once where someone just gave you present after present after present and you're like, enough already. And they said, no, not near enough. And that is God's love in Jesus Christ giving us gift after gift after gift. And we say, Lord, I, I'm not worthy. And he says, I know, but I still love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. And he lavishes that love and we allow our heart to be shaped by that. That ongoing, profound, over-the-top love of God in Jesus Christ. And as our heart is shaped, our desires are transformed. 
Our desire becomes to pass along that love to others. James 1, 13 to 15 speaks of desires and speaks how much this becomes that place inside of us that needs the work of the Holy Spirit. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, I guess I cut the passage off, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's the rest of that verse. Sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do you see what happens here? It's a slow process. These things of desires are not just instantaneous. I want to feel good about God and about life today. Therefore, snap the fingers. Lord, give me the spirit and let me feel good. These are actually desires are talked about as things that grow over time, that take time to develop within us. And just as the evil desires can be nurtured and watered and grown, so can the godly desires to love one another, to treat others with grace and kindness and goodness. We're called to cultivate. It's all made possible, not because of us, but, but it says again here, because you are born new. You are born again in God through God's word. And it roots us back into God's word. It, it's as if it's saying, you want to cultivate the righteous desires? Turn to God's word. Get into his word, not as a place to condemn you, not as a, a, a textbook of, of rules you have to keep in order to be righteous, but as a new way of life, as a nutrient being poured out on a, a freshly planted garden that you want to see grow and develop and flourish. Get into God's word. Perhaps one of the images that would be helpful, and, and maybe I'm thinking about it because I was in the garden last week, it's that fruit of the Spirit passage in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Remember that passage? It gives us all these fruit, all these characteristics that, that God desires to have living and flourishing within us. And in order for those things to grow, I think maybe we all have some summer gardening to do paying attention to those places where things in our life are out of order and, and chaotic. They're overgrown with, with weeds of, of wrong desires. And paying attention to those places where we can see and cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. So two questions as we wrap up. Which ungodly, selfish desires needed to be weeded out of your life this summer? the first weekend perhaps, maybe last weekend a bit, that really feels like summer. All right? Some of us are sweating in here this morning. We're feeling the heat. We're feeling the summer. We're, we're making those transitions. School years are starting to wrap up for those of us who have kids. We're seeing the, the flurry of sudden field trips <laughs> and all those end of the school year signs. We know summer is coming. So as we make our plans for the summer, perhaps one of the questions for us then is this. What are those things that are not righteous, that are not holy, that are getting in the way of me loving others deeply? What are those that need to be plucked out? And right along with that, what's the fruit that needs to be planted in its place? And maybe for some of us, it's, it's anger. I, I react impulsively. 
I react so strongly just in the moment and I get irritated easily and I know I need that to be uprooted this summer. Lord, I'm just going to name it. Help me. And as that's uprooted, Lord, I pray that you plant and grow in me patience. Grow in me a, a gentle spirit so that my first words and even my facial contortions are ones that speak your gospel and your love to the people around me. Maybe it's someone, something else and, and we can each go through and probably name different things that need to be uprooted and new things of God that need to be planted. But as we are on the brink of summer, I invite us to keep these questions in front of us as ways of growing into the character of our Heavenly Father who so loved us that he gave his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be holy because God has already made us holy. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your grace, your abundant love for us in Jesus Christ. It's so easy to take it for granted and to overlook how profound a gift it is. We pray that this morning you would awaken our sense of your lavish love in Christ, that you would stir in our hearts how good and faithful you are, that you have forgiven us our sins and made us whole and holy in Jesus Christ. Our realities, Lord, are that we still got weeds of evil desires and brokenness and sin growing within us. We know them. We know them all too well, and some of them seem almost impossible, intractable. We can't dig them out. So we ask for your grace, your work, and your Holy Spirit to take that which is not pleasing to you, that which, which does not embody and reflect your character, to take it out of us, to uproot it, and in its place, in the soil of your good word, that you would grow in us the fruit of your Spirit that we may grow into the character of Jesus Christ. We might be holy, even as you are holy. We pray this in Jesus Christ. Amen. In response this morning, I invite us to stand and sing together, O Church, Arise. <laughs>